Um, during my lifetime, there's been a big push for greater unity among churches. Uh, it's often called the ecumenical movement. Uh, and the idea is that churches should be able to get along. They should be able to work together. They should be able to present a united face to the community. And that sounds great. It's a positive thing. And when you read things like John chapter 17, where Jesus talks about wanting his disciples to be united and working together, well, it's really hard to argue with it. Unity is a good thing. Unity is a positive thing. Jesus wants his people to be unified. But as soon as you start talking about unity, a couple of important questions come up. What's the basis of our unity? What is it that we're actually united in? And how will that unity show itself? And it's not just denominations that need unity. The New Testament writers talk about the high priority of congregations having that sense of unity as well. I mean, it's natural and obvious that a congregation is going to want to have that growing sense of unity among themselves, harmony and agreement. But again, you've got to ask those two questions. What's the basis of our unity? What is it that we're united in? And how will that unity show itself? Now we turn today to Philippians chapter 2. We started Philippians a couple of weeks ago. And what becomes apparent as we start to read chapter 2 is that there is perhaps a little tiny disunity among the church in Philippi. We see this glimpse in what Paul says in this chapter. Disunity in churches, it's a little bit like a crack in a windscreen. Um, It might not seem very big to begin with, it might just be a small thing, but if you leave it long enough, it becomes a significant issue. And I think that's why Paul is wanting to address that issue in this letter. So Paul makes a, a plea for unity to the Philippians. But more than that, he helpfully points them to the basis of their unity, what it is that they're supposed to be unified in, and then explains to them how that unity ought to express itself. Now, at the end of chapter 1, if you turn back to chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul said this, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one soul for the faith of the gospel. He told them that they're not to be like the Mullumbimby under six hornets. Okay, They're not to be just in it for themselves. They're to be united as a team. They're to think of the interests of other people and they're to remember what their goal is. Stand firm in one spirit, contend as one soul for the faith of the gospel. The basis for unity between denominations or within congregations is exactly the same thing. It must be that it is the gospel that unites you. Our unity is not that we share some vague notion of God. Our unity is not that we enjoy the same type of music. Our unity is not that we have the same ethnic background. Our unity is based on our commitment to the truth of the message about Jesus. That Jesus is God, that Jesus came into this world to save through his death on the cross. Unity can only exist when we're clear about what the gospel is and committed to it. 
If your unity is something other than the gospel, then what you've got is not a church. It's just a social club. Now, Paul starts at the beginning of this chapter, picking up pretty much where he left off, wanting to look further at how this unity is going to express itself. So the opening two verses of chapter two say this. If you've got a Bible there, follow along. Do you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He's effectively saying, if being a Christian means anything to you, then make sure that you work at being like-minded. Make sure that you're one in spirit and purpose. The unity is to be in Jesus. The unity is to be because of Jesus. The unity is to be for the sake of the message about Jesus, the gospel. And the unity is going to show itself in practical ways. The unity that Paul's talking about here is not just warm feelings towards each other. He actually says what the unity is going to look like there in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not to your own interests, or not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. One thing you shouldn't do, you shouldn't be motivated by selfish ambition or vanity. It's not about you. And another thing that you should do is be humble. Think of others. And then Paul says, you want to know what that looks like? You want to see how that translates into action? Then look at Jesus. Your attitude, verse 5, Paul says, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. One important factor in our unity is to be humility. We're not to be driven by selfish ambition. We're not to be driven by vanity. We're not to do things so that other people will think highly of us. We're not to do things so that we can actually get the limelight shining on us. Back in the 1100s, there was a church leader by the name of Bernard of Clairvaux, and he saw the excesses that existed in the church, and he said this, The three most important virtues for the Christian life are humility, humility, and humility. I think it was because he saw a complete lack of it in the church at that time. But it's not hard to see where he gets the idea from, because that's what Jesus shows us. Chapter 2, verse 6, Philippians who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus is the one who is in very nature God. He is God. But he didn't stand on his rights. He didn't insist that things be done to suit him. He was willing to come into this world and suffer and die. He was willing to come into this world and be found in human appearance. And then was even humbled as a human. 
And I've mentioned this before, but back in the year 2000, Prince William decided that he was going to have a gap year, wanted to do something worthwhile in his gap year, so he went to this project in Chile, uh, helping out in building an orphanage. Now, Buckingham Palace were more than happy about that, but some difficulties arose when some of the photos from this project made it back to the British press. Wasn't this photo, that wasn't the problem. This one wasn't a problem. I mean, that's the future King of England. He even looks like the King right there, doesn't he? And this one wasn't the problem. This one was the problem, which I am now missing. (laughs) Him scrubbing a toilet... The British press must have got to my computer as well. They had a photo of William down on his knees and scrubbing a toilet. And the press were pretty outraged. And there were even those within Buckingham Palace who were slightly outraged by the whole thing. How could the future King of England be seen down on his knees scrubbing a toilet? That doesn't even hold a candle to what Jesus has done, does it? I mean, the one who is in very nature God, willing to humble himself, willing to stand in our place, willing to be found in human appearance, willing to face death on the cross. And why was he willing to do that? Because he's looking to the interests of others, not his own interests. Jesus stood to gain nothing out of this. Here is the one who is equal with God. Here is the one who is God. What could he possibly gain out of doing this? What benefit would there be for him? We are the ones who gain from what Jesus has done. He did it for our sake, not his. Verse 7, Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. What did Jesus get out of coming to earth? Pain? Rejection, suffering, he was mistreated, misunderstood even by his own disciples and ultimately his time on earth culminated in his death on the cross. See, he's the perfect example of not looking out for his own interests but the interests of others. And above all, Jesus is the perfect example of what you'd call singleness of purpose. It might sound a little strange, but even Jesus was totally committed to the gospel. He knew when he came to earth that he'd come with one mission. He knew what it involved. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that it would not be easy. He knew that he would suffer. But he knew that his suffering would be would bring forgiveness and eternal life to those who trusted in him. Paul says that he was totally committed to that mission. Was here to do his father's will, to be obedient even to death on a cross. If that's what Jesus was like, then Paul says we should be like that too. We should have his attitude. We should have his humility. We should have his desire to look out for the interests of other people. 
Just as Jesus was obedient to his father, so we should be obedient in our relationship with God. That's what Paul says. There's the therefore. Here's the practical application for us, Paul says. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and, uh, to will and to act according to his good purpose. We should be willing to do things simply out of a desire to serve others. We're not to be driven by selfishness. We're not to be driven by what suits me or what makes me look good. We're to start thinking of other people and be committed to them. I I love the expression that Paul uses there in verse 15. Do, Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. It's a great image, isn't it? Shine like stars in the universe. That's our job, is to hold out that word of life. Our commitment to each other flows from our commitment to the gospel. We are to do all of that, not because we have to, not because we're trying to win God's favour. We do it because of what Jesus has done for us. And we do it following the example that Jesus has set for us. I think I have to say that that strong desire that exists today for unity among churches is a good thing. Again, if you don't think so, read John 17. Jesus wants his people to be unified. Paul wrote this letter to a church that was suffering from a small amount of disunity. And from what we see in this chapter, there are three important things that Paul wants to say about unity. First is this, unity for the sake of the gospel. We are unified in the gospel, we are unified in the truth about Jesus and we are unified in our commitment to him. Unity in the church comes because you, because of a unified commitment to Jesus and the message about him. The unity that we have is in Jesus. It's what defines us, what shapes us, what gives us direction as a church. Jesus is the head of the church and he is the source of our unity. And it's for Jesus' sake that we strive for unity. We don't strive for unity for unity's sake. You'll never have unity for unity's sake because you won't have anything to be united in. But unity leads to humility. The example that Jesus gives us is one of not standing on your rights, willing to be humble. And our unity as a church will express itself in humility. And when you're struggling with humility, then you just need to look at this example of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. If Jesus could humble himself that way, then surely it's not beyond you to humble yourself that way. And finally, unity which leads to humility, then leads to service. The unity that we have should be really clear because of the way that we serve each other, care for each other, 
help each other, support each other. People should see in us that we have a genuine interest for others, a genuine concern for the interests of others. That's how unity should express itself. That should be the practical and tangible evidence of our unity. We should each be looking out for the interests of each other. Physical interests, the emotional interests, the spiritual interests, the financial interests of each other. And the greatest concern that we can have for others is to see that they also trust in Jesus. Above all, our unity should be in holding out that word of life. The way that we shine like stars in this universe, holding out that message about Jesus.